Hey, thanks so much for checking out Crossview Church Sermons and listening to this podcast. Every week you can expect a message that strengthens your faith and encourages you in your walk with God. You're about to hear a message from Caleb Duick, who is our next-gen pastor here at Crossview. All right, well, welcome everybody online joining us. Welcome uh, everybody here. My name is Caleb Duick, and I'm the next-gen pastor. That means uh, everyone from birth to young adults. Is, uh, is with me, and like uh, we announced, uh, next weekend we're gonna try something called The Lounge, which is just like a place for young adults, young marrieds, if you, essentially you just consider yourself young, come hang out. Uh, there's literally a room called The Lounge back under there, we're just gonna hang out after the 6 p.m. service and play some pool and have some coffee and just chat, so it's gonna be cool. Okay, anyways, now that I got that plugged in, um, I am here to preach, but I have never preached here before. I have preached twice for our church, but I have never preached in our church. I've never preached in this building or on this stage. So I'm very excited, I'm honored, I'm privileged, and I'm ready to get right into it. We began a series last week called Grounded, where we're looking at the core theology of Crossview, our statements of faith, if you will. And uh, Chris originally was gonna call this uh, series Statements of Faith, which thankfully he aptly pointed out would be horrifically boring. Uh, so then at the last minute, right before he got up there, we, oh, grounded, call it grounded, which is just slightly better, it is better, not the best, uh, but grounded, and uh, this is where we're going, because we want, we, we want to be, we want to be grounded, we want to be firmly rooted in, uh, in the Word. So, last week we tackled the topic of the Bible, speaking of being rooted in the Word, we tackled the topic of the Bible, and specifically, what is the Bible for? What is it for? What is the Bible for? Is it an instruction manual that that you know, can give us all we need to know about parenting, cooking, and carpentry. It is not. It is not an instruction manual for all areas of life, but it is something, it does tell us the most important part of life, and that is three things, who God is, who we are, and what the plan of salvation is. Those are the three primary purposes for the Bible. That is what the Bible does for us. It is the purpose of the Bible, who God is, who we are, and what the plan of salvation is. And the Bible is absolutely authoritative and inspired to tell us those things. It is, our, it is what we rely on to tell us who God is, who we are, and what the plan of salvation is. So today we're gonna zero in on that last statement. What is the plan of salvation? That final statement, what is that plan? The primary purpose of the Bible is to point us to Jesus and to his plan of salvation. So here's our church statement on salvation. Salvation is redemption by Christ of the whole person from sin and death. It is offered as a free gift by God to all and must be received, must be received personally through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as per Acts 16.31 and Romans 10 verses 9 to 10. Now that is a beautiful statement and one that I'm sure we can all affirm and believe this is salvation. But of course, it requires explanation. Otherwise, why would I be here? But salvation requires explanation. What does redemption mean? What is the whole person? What, what do we mean by saved from sin and death? Also, what are we saved for? So we're saved from something. What are we saved for? What, what, what do we do now? Uh, what is included in this free gift of God we are given called salvation? Really, what we are talking about, the topic for today that we're grounded in, is the gospel. Can you say the gospel. Can you do your best, like, southern preacher? The gospel. What? Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Nailed it. I knew, I, knew, I knew at least you. The gospel. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the gospel. And the gospel, it's so big. It's the pinnacle. It's the mountain point. It's what everything was leading towards. It's what everything is all about. 
It's so important and it is so much more than a get out of jail free card. It's so much more than a get out of hell free card. It is the pinnacle of the whole story. Every story, every story that we, that we read, that we listen to, that we watch, every movie has a climax. It has a pinnacle. It is a, what is this movie for? What is this movie leading towards? You know, you take a movie like Avengers Endgame. I'm, I love all the Marvel stuff. So it's a, it, the, the goal is to save the souls of all those who were blipped, all those who were gone away. Right? So the, the climax of that movie is like, okay, we have to bring everybody back. We have to bring everybody back and beat the bad guy, right? But it's the bringing everybody back that is sort of the, that's the, it's the pinnacle moment. It's, the, it's that salvation moment where the heroes win, they get what they want. Uh, the Bible, the, the, the story of the Bible is, is moving, always moving towards something. The prophets, the, the, uh, the, the Pentateuch, the, the, the Psalms and the Proverbs and everything is pointing towards a solution for humanity's separation from God. The Bible is for pointing us to the gospel. The Bible points us to the gospel. It is the climax of the story. It is the pinnacle. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. He says, then Jesus took his disciples through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The gospel is not just a message in the Bible. It is the message of the Bible. It is the message. This is the message of the Bible, the primary thing, the peak. Everything points towards it. It's the mountaintop that God is moving humanity towards. It is the goal. All of scripture points to Jesus and his gospel. We start with Jesus, we put on those gospel goggles, and we look at the whole story of the Bible through it. We have the, we have the benefit of knowing the end of the story, right? Well, not really the full end of the story, the fullness of his kingdom is yet to come, but we have this conclusion of, oh, this is the plan, this is the savior, this is the king, this is his kingdom. Okay, now I can look back at the rest of the Bible through the lens of the gospel and of Jesus. Here's the tricky part. The tricky part is that this gospel was written 2,000 years ago, and sometimes our gospel goggles can get a little cloudy, and we don't necessarily see clearly all of the things that were originally intended by those authors 2,000 years ago. We've had 2,000 years removed from the culture. We've had chances to, to process it, and I want to say, and I want to say a thank you to every scholar and theologian and pastor and man and woman of God who has preserved the scripture for us for 2,000 years to bring us what is the like a beautiful and accurate and, and we get continually better and better scholarship as we find manuscripts and, and all these things and, it's, and it's, it, it has been preserved for us but what sometimes is not always preserved is how those authors thought in their first century context. And so for us 2,000 years later, we can sometimes see things a little differently. Let's do a thought experiment. Go with me here. Okay, so if you're at home, if you've got a pen or a phone, you guys here, a pen or a phone, or if you don't have those things, just close your eyes. Play along. I'll close my eyes. I'll experiment on myself and you. Close your eyes, and if you could describe the gospel in one sentence, how would you do it? Just one sentence. How would you capture the plan of salvation just in a sentence? You know, we grew up, it's like, okay, how, like, how do you present the gospel? You're presenting the gospel in your own head right now. For most of us, including myself, here's, here's what I, uh, this is probably along the lines of, uh, of what I would, I would think of. I have sinned, Jesus died so I can be saved, 
I say a prayer, and now I'm on my way to heaven instead of hell. I'm on my way from misery to happiness to be. Hurrah. I'm going to get out of here. That's salvation, me getting out of here. Not quite. Not quite. In fact, the sentiment that we are saved from hell, if we just believe, if we just believe we are saved from hell and out of here, that can actually lead us away from what was originally intended by the authors of the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. Now, this is a very bold claim. I know when I'm young, I, turn, I become a real adult in four weeks, okay? I'm 30 in four weeks, but right now I'm 29. So I need the authority of an older, wiser, spiritual person, and I brought them along today, and it comes in the form of N.T. Wright. There he is. There he is in his library. Little, little picture there. N.T. Wright, uh, he has spent his entire life researching the world of the New Testament. He also, incidentally, has the most just soothing and velvety voice. He has this beautiful British accent that just makes you feel smarter when you listen to him. Like, if you ever, like, you can just zone out. You can just, I'm wiser by listening to this voice. It's just, it, Chris Dirksen wishes he had a voice like this because it is just, you wouldn't have to work so hard on your, on your material. You just say things and it's like, oh my goodness, that just sounds wise in that accent. My friend Chris Lowen actually calls um, uh, N.T. Wright his spiritual grandpappy. So I think that's pretty neat. Um, but uh, he's wonderful. He's done a lot of work on this topic. And uh, here's a quote from his book, The Day the Revolution Began. Can't recommend that book highly enough. The Day the Revolution Began, here's the quote. The early Christian message is not well summarized by saying that Jesus died so that we can go to heaven. That way of looking at the gospel and mission both shrinks and distorts what the Bible actually teaches. It ignores Jesus' claim to be launching his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. There it is. Shrinking the gospel to the simple phrase, sinking the gospel to the simple phrase, I'm saved from hell by my beliefs, is a distortion of what the Bible actually teaches. How so? Well, let's break it down. Let's dissect the phrase, saved from hell by our beliefs. Here we go. One of the key verses, especially for us as evangelicals, right? This is a, this is a key verse. It's John 3.16. And we've memorized this verse, and it's a wonderful verse, and it's a really good little encapsulation of so much of what we believe about Jesus and about the Gospels. It is so important, and we're going to read it here. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That is good news. That is good news. Put that on your bumper. Get it in the memory bank. That is a profound truth. But it is not the full story. It is not the full picture. Otherwise, why would we need the other 7,946 verses in the New Testament? And all that came in the Old Testament verse to set up the story, to, to lead us towards this climax, 7,496 other verses in the New Testament alone. Yes, this verse is important, but it is part of a greater whole. Furthermore, the verse itself is actually not talking about being saved from hell. In this discussion between Jesus and Nicodemus, it is a contrast. He's contrasting life and death, eternity versus ending or perishing. The good news of John 3.16 is that eternal life is available, not that eternal life or eternal hell is now avoidable. Holy smokes, i got to say that again. The good news of John 3.16 is not that eternal, life is, is that eternal life is now available, not that eternal hell is now avoidable. The whole conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, you look at John chapter 3, the whole thing is about life. It's about life. He's like, Jesus is trying to tell Nicodemus, you're going to be reborn. You're going to be rebirthed into a new life. And Nicodemus is like, you mean I have to crawl inside my mom? That is so weird on so many levels, Jesus. Like, 
what do you mean? What are you talking about? This physically impossible and gross and weird. And Jesus is like, no, 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 this is an analogy. Okay, I'm talking to you about life, about being reborn, about a new way of living, about starting over and then living the way you were designed to live and live, 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 live. The whole thing is about living. It's about Nicodemus. You haven't been fully living. I come that you may have life and have it abundantly and a new way of living that I'm gonna launch everybody into through my kingdom. Anybody who wants to, anyways, and believes on me. The good news of John 3.16 is that eternal life is now available, not that eternal hell is now avoidable. That is good. Now, this is not going to be a message about hell. We've, we've preached those messages at church. You can go back uh, in the YouTube archive and find those. You should know, you should know that many of us here at Leadership and Cross You believe the Bible actually teaches, that the Bible itself teaches that hell is the end of those who reject Jesus. Not an ongoing place of torment or a place that you can work your way out of, um, but actually the destruction, the perishing of the wicked. And one of the main reasons it is so important to construct a careful and biblical view of hell. Okay, this is critical. We've got to get this. Whatever your view is of hell, because you don't have to believe that. You don't have to believe that, it, that, it's, um, that it's the annihilation or the destruction or perishing of the wicked. But whatever you believe about hell will drastically affect your view of salvation. It will drastically affect your view of salvation. We have to be very careful about the way that we view hell. Because when we become so fixated, when we become fixated on the idea that hell must be eternal conscious torment, ongoing torment, then that's the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters is saving souls from that. And my soul, I mean, I don't want my soul to do that. Like, I want to... No, 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 I, I, I want to be, that's an awful fate. I cannot imagine. We become obsessed then. We, we fixate on just avoiding that. I've got to avoid hell. Instead of heaven's available, it's I've got to avoid that horrendous, horrendous alternative. And it begs the question then, what really motivates us as believers? Does heaven motivate us or does not hell motivate us? I think we so badly don't want hell that heaven is hardly even a motivator for ourselves or for us preaching the gospel. The idea of a human soul being, being tortured to infinity and beyond, it is so horrific that it actually it renders meaningless anything other than winning souls here on earth. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why you know, evangelical crusades had so much fruit. There's a lot of people that were saved and impacted, and I think all of us feel the impacts, the positive impacts of that, but there is a negative impact of, of this idea that we've got to win souls from damnation, and that is that fear becomes the primary motivator. Fear is a powerful motivator, and it's actually effective. But is it biblical? Is it biblical that we motivate people with the fear of hell? We should fear hell, absolutely. I mean, this is why Jesus said, fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Yes, absolutely. But did you know, if you read through the Gospels and you read through Acts, what's really, really fascinating to me is that in the entire book of Acts, not one time do Jesus' disciples use hell as a motivator for people to get saved, to make a conversion. You've got to pray this prayer of salvation because the alternative is that, you, is that you're forever, forever damned. Of all places to use the fear tactic, the book of Acts is it. This is like the OG evangelical campaign, okay? This is the, the first crusade, the first campaign that the, the Peter and the other disciples are going out, so we've got to get people saved. We've got to get people saved. How are we going to do it? How are we going to motivate them to get saved? Because it's so important that we win their souls. How do they do it? They cast a vision of life. They cast a vision of what life can be like in the kingdom. 
with Jesus, a new way of living, life, life, and eternal life. Yes, you get given this gift of eternal life. That is your motivation. It's beautiful. They don't preach fire and brimstone because salvation is not just about what we're saved from. It is about what we are saved for. That is primarily what salvation is, not just what we're saved from, from sin and death, from, from hell, from judgment. Yes, from hell and judgment. But the emphasis, the thrust of the Gospels and the, and the apostles in Acts is that what we are saved for is just so much more beautiful in comparison. It's so much more beautiful. Listen to what uh, Paul says in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that anyone can boast. For you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For what? Nailed it. Thanks for the whisper. Uh, created in Christ Jesus for? Nailed it. I heard all the people online, I think louder than the people in the, yeah, it's good. For good works, right? We're saved for good works. This is something we're saved for. We're not just saved from, but we're actually saved for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Jesus saved us so we could live life to the fullest, doing good works in his name, representing his kingdom, going back to the image of God that we're supposed to bear. We're supposed to bear his image, represent him, his kingdom, his way of doing things. Now we're getting closer to the gospel. Do you know what the word gospel actually means? Gospel has, let's see if anyone's really got their thinking caps on. Does anybody know what the word gospel means? Shout it out. So many people, even more than the last thing I asked for. Okay, good news. Yes, we know this. Okay, good news. Okay, gospel means good news or news that brings joy. It comes from the Greek word euangelion or euangelion, and it is euangelion. Uh, it is where we get our word evangelism or evangelist. Okay, this is, where, this is where we get that. Evangelism, evangelist. Now, here's a plot twist. Here's a plot twist. Ready? Evangelism and evangelist, those Greek words, don't originate with Christianity. There's actually a Greek-Roman gospel. There's this evangelist evangelism happening with the Greeks and the Romans. Here's a slide of an ancient tablet. Okay, this is gonna come up on the screen. An ancient tablet from the first century. It's very different than our tablets. There's no swiping. This is a really old piece of artifact here. Piece of artifact. Uh, and uh, I, I credit Chris Lowen, my friend, for putting these slides together for a book study we did in Fall on Revelation. Um, but the next slide is the translation, the English translation of this tablet, and it says this. God, who has provided us with all things and takes great care for our life, has set everything right by giving us someone whom he has invested with every good quality so as to benefit humankind, sending him as a savior for both us and our children and our children's children, that he might bring peace and order to our world. And since he, by his appearance, is supreme Lord of lords, and since he can never be surpassed in his perfection or his good acts, and since the birthday of this person was the beginning of the good news for the world that came because of him. Now, who does that sound like to you? To me, it sounds a little like Jesus. It sounds a little like Jesus. In fact, a lot like Jesus. But Lord, Lord, Savior, this is the good news. Actually, it's Caesar Augustus. Isn't that wild and like, ugh, ugh, He's the Savior, Augustus, Caesar, Lord of Lords, the God. Look at this, birthday of the God. The Caesars were literally like, like known as the sons of God. These are the divine people. And the, the, the Greeks, the Romans, they actually believed, they preached, their culture was the good news. This is the good news. And they had evangelists. When they would conquer areas, they would send out evangelists to go and tell them, hey, look, you've been freed. 
Look at this beautiful culture that we have. This is how the world is gonna be made right. It's through us. This is how the world's gonna be made right. This is the right way to do things. And Jesus says, cool story, bro. Actually, I've got a better way. It is the best way. It is the kingdom. Here it comes. Jesus declares the truly good news, and this is what the kingdom looks like, according to him and the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we all say, amen. Amen. That is the good news. That is the truly good news of God's kingdom. And it's hundreds of years actually older than Greek or Roman gospel because Jesus is quoting here from the prophet Isaiah. Now it's ironic, it's interesting. Let me actually read this verse again. I'm gonna read this verse again and we'll move on to the next point. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is the gospel. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know what's really fascinating to me? This is just a little aside here. One of the raging debates about, uh, among evangelical Christians over the last hundred years has been social justice or the gospel, preaching the gospel, that is. So do we preach and save souls, or do we do work within the world the good works, the things we're prepared to do. Uh, and it, maybe you don't like the term social justice, that's totally fine. Uh, many people you know, d- define you know, working in the world and community like that. If you don't like that phrase, that's fine. But are we supposed to be doing works in the world or are we supposed to be getting souls saved and out of here? Well, according to Jesus right here in Luke, that's a silly debate. That's a silly debate because in light of this passage, it makes no sense. You, you can't separate preaching the gospel from doing good works. They're the same. This, the, the gospel message, according to Jesus here in Luke, is that caring for the poor, the prisoner, the sick, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, is the gospel. That is the gospel. But yeah, if our whole goal is to escape from earth, then the problems of the earth become kind of not that concerning in comparison. And this brings us back to the phrase, we are saved from hell by our beliefs. It's time to tackle the second part uh, Saved by our beliefs. Are we saved by our beliefs? Let me clarify a really foundational truth. Let me help you feel grounded. Sorry if we've been like all over the place and floating around. Let's let's ground ourselves. That's what the series is about after all. Salvation is given to all who believe in Christ as Savior. Let us affirm that salvation is through Jesus alone. It is the gift of grace from God for us. And the only way of salvation, the only way to be saved is through Jesus. And you can't do it on your own. You can't work for it. So it's interesting that we talk about good works, but it's not good works to earn salvation. Salvation is given to us to go and do good works. But salvation is given by Christ alone. Now, back to the statement, are we saved by our beliefs? Things can get a little, little twisty, a little distorted when we turn that sentence into this. Salvation is given to all those who believe the correct things about Christ. All those who believe the correct things about Christ are those that are saved. You see, in, the, in our Europe, so we, we descended from European culture with this Western culture, this North American culture that uh, has been steeped in enlightenment thinking. Enlightenment thinking where rationality, correct thinking, having the correct doctrine and principles and beliefs, that is the most important thing. And what happened in the church is that we elevated then correct beliefs above all else to the point where it's actually the way you are saved. It is actually the way, and we would never say this, but we become very, very fixated on believing exactly the way, well, really the way that my tribe believes, but this is, we've got to have the, the, the right beliefs, but this leads, this sort of leads to all kinds of 
excuse me, self-righteousness and sort of like uppityness and we're looking down our noses at everybody else and we're like wondering whether or not Catholics or Lutherans or Anglicans or really anybody except for our tribe can even be saved. And we reduce the body of Christ to basically just our local church or our denomination or tradition. And uh, of course, when you, re- when you read the Gospels, belief is incredibly important. The word believe appears, I, that would have been a cool thing to have down, but it, it appears many times. <laughs> I had the 7,946 verses, but it, the belief appears so many times. Belief, 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 you must believe. If only you believe. If you believe uh, in Jesus, then you will be saved. Belief is incredibly important. But the type of belief is pretty straightforward. It's a trust. Romans 10, 9 to 10 says, if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Well, there's actually a lot of people who believe that, whom we've actually been pretty exclusive towards, who believe, yes, if you confess Jesus as the Lord and believe God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But we have made it as a set of principles. You must affirm these principles. But the gospel is not a set of principles. The gospel is a way of living. It's a way of life. We are invited into this new life. It is good to wrestle with theology. In fact, I love wrestling with theology, and that's why I'm up here and I'm passionate. It's all like, I love theology. I love talking theology. I love beliefs. But my beliefs don't save me. My beliefs don't save me. Jesus saves me when I trust him. Sometimes the word trust is, I think, more helpful for us when we think about that connection to Jesus. It's trust. But ultimately, the kingdom is not a set of principles. The kingdom is not a set of facts. It's less of a documentary and more of an action movie. It's less of a documentary and it's more of an action movie and it is relevant, relevant as heck in our world. When we read Jesus' sermon and parables, we discover the gospel exists to confront violence and revenge, unforgiveness, racism, sexism, poverty, sickness, addiction, abuse, and every other bit of brokenness that is in our world. The world needs that gospel. We all need that gospel. We need to fix this broken, tribal way of living that actually just continues to harm and break us apart. We need the good news. We need the good news that there is another way, and it is the way of Jesus. This is what gospel living looks like. This is the way that Jesus introduced on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 to 7, that is the gospel living. It's the way of peace and forgiveness, love of neighbor, love of enemy, equality at the table, good news for the poor, comfort for the brokenhearted, healing for the sick, and from addiction, and and restoration for the prisoners. That is the gospel that Jesus came to inaugurate the kingdom that he ushered in. It is a radical invitation, a summons from the king of the universe to leave our hobbit holes of selfishness and comfort and to go out into the world, out into, out into uh, Middle Earth and go make a difference, be, actually be a part of this quest and, and, and don't just hunker down and wait for heaven, but actually go. And we become focused. We become focused on the individual But listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1, verses 9 to 10. I love this verse. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the word everything means everything. Everything. The gospel is not just about my personal salvation and escape. It is about partnering in God's plan to make everything good and new. Everything good and new. In fact, the gospel, it's gospel, it's meant to be lived and then ushered in. That's why it's now and not yet. It's not 
this thing that we try and the world is not something that we are trying to escape from. The gospel is not an escape pod. It is a rocket ship blasting us into a new way of living. Listen to what John 3.17 says. This comes right after John 3.16. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. God's goal is saving the world. God's goal is saving the world. And all of our, obviously, our, our we as humans, we are, we are the recipient of salvation, but that salvation is meant to spread to all creation, to renew all creation. That is God's goal, to save the world, not to just, not to, in fact, in, in, in fact, we know this because we have, we've had a series on new creation. It is actually, God, we are not going to heaven. Heaven is coming down to us. The gospel is not an escape pod. It's not our escape pod out of here. It is the rocket ship that we launch into a new way of living. And the kingdom, the kingdom is coming here. God is gonna make a new heaven and a new earth. And he's already at work doing it. And we get the privilege of partnering with him. That's the beauty of the gospel. It is a new way to be human. Thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Switchfoot. It's a new way to be human. Come on. Like Shawin and Chris, some of these. Switchfoot, new way to be human? You know this song? Oh, yeah, thumbs up. All right. We are, int- we are invited into a new way of being human. Let's, let's, let's land here and get really practical. Let's talk about this gospel way of life and how it applies right now in 2022 for us. What opportunities do I have, do we have, to live out the gospel? How can I graduate from believing the gospel to living it out? What are some practical ways? Maybe, there, maybe it's forgiveness, reconciliation, relational healing. It's, it's something that it's between, between family members or friends. There's something that's, that's broken. Well, God's, God's in the business of making broken things whole. What if it's, maybe it's, maybe it's something uh, to do, it's hospitality, it's care and compassion, it's going out, uh, or maybe it's coming, it's, it, it might be going out to a hospital, it might also be hospitality, it might be inviting people in. The gospel is all about hospitality and the connection with people and the discussion and the witnessing of who Jesus is and how he has introduced this salvation way of living. Maybe it's a cause in the community. Maybe, maybe it's something in your community. Uh, poverty, addiction, abuse. Uh, there's, there's so many things, there's so many ways that, uh, you know, there's Christian organizations that are doing amazing kingdom work and it's not just out there. It's not just in, in Africa or in Asia in the mission field. There's things going on right here in our community. Uh, there's life culture, which we as a church are, are partnered with. And, uh, you know, fl- human life flourishing from life to death. There's all kinds of things that help people. I mean, right here in our very own building, SMC, uh, or sorry, uh, Steinbeck Community Outreach is, is right upstairs. And uh, we had them come and do a presentation for our youth in December. They're doing amazing work uh, for, for people who are uh, stuck in poverty, cycles of addiction, and, and, and these things. And they do so much good work to care for people's physical needs, emotional needs, mental needs, and spiritual needs. All these things together. So, partner. And if you don't know where to partner, you can email us. You can, you can talk with us. Like I said, we as a church have some partners in this, but there are so many good organizations that are doing good work for God's kingdom. So that's the, that's, that's, that's the way of living. Now, the way of thinking and understanding. If you're wrestling with your beliefs, this is, this is another practical thing I want to include here, because if you're genuinely wrestling, you're genuinely curious and want to grow an understanding of the gospel more, what are, what are you reading? There's, there's a ton of great resources out there. I'm just gonna, there's two on screen right now. There's two on screen right now. 
And uh, I've already talked about N.T. Wright. Uh, he is amazing. Uh, and he's got this great podcast called Ask N.T. Wright Anything. And as if one velvety, Christian, uh, one velvety British voice wasn't enough, there's a second velvety British voice on that podcast, so you can feel doubly wise listening to it. Sometimes I listen to it, and I'm like, I'm not even processing what they're saying, but I feel smarter now. <laughs> it's just their voices. It's uh, Justin Brierly and N.T. Wright. It's called Ask N.T. Wright Anything, and they tackle all kinds of topics. Obviously, N.T. Wright specializes in the New Testament, uh, but great for theological depth and New Testament culture. He's obviously got a ton of books. Um, some of them are a little weightier, and some of them are actually really accessible and really readable, so I'd highly recommend uh, his material on the gospel in the New Testament. And I would also highly recommend the Bible Project. Uh, if you go on their website, uh, they're, they're, they're hugely popular now. They've got podcasts and books and videos. Uh, I've got this gigantic uh, book by them. It's this huge brown book. It looks like a big uh, tablet. And, uh, and it's wonderful, but uh, you don't even have to buy anything because all their stuff is free on their website. All the resources. They do it all for free. It's all just like uh, donation funded. It's, it's, it's great. It's a great resource. And if you search gospel on their website... I did that just before. It was 497 items came up. Now that's like there's overlap and there's so many places that they mention gospel, but what I'm saying is they've got a ton of stuff on this topic and it's really good and I'd recommend it if you want to learn more about this topic. Um, but I want to close, I want to close with a beautiful, beautiful prophecy because the gospel, ultimately this is about being captivated by the beauty of the gospel. When you're captivated by the beauty of something, you want to give yourself to it. You're captivated, captivated by the beauty of a person, right? You, you give yourself to that person and, uh, and you get married. When we are captivated by the beauty of the gospel, there's a marriage. There's this, I will commit to this and I will commit to this way of living because it is true. It is good. It is, this is the fullness of life that was promised by Jesus. Here's the, here's the verse in Isaiah. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news, the good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. Thank you, Jesus, that you are reigning on the throne, that your kingdom has come. It's, it's here. You introduced it to us. You invited us into it, this way of living. It's not fully realized yet. It's not fully here, but it's coming. Thank you for that good news. Thank you for the good news of salvation. The news that we don't have to be, that death doesn't have to be the end. That we don't have to be consumed by sin, sinful ways of living and, do, and interacting with each other that leads to death and brokenness and more bondage. We have been set free. How beautiful is that message? Help us to bring that good news message to those around us, that message of peace and salvation, the news that the kingdom is here and that the king is good. Thank you that you are good, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today and being part of what God is doing here at Crossview. A special thanks to those that are giving generously to this ministry. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you enjoyed the sermon, why don't you subscribe to the platform you're listening to right now and let us know that you're listening by sharing and tagging us on social media. If you want to learn more about this ministry in our church, you can visit us at crossviewchurch.ca.